Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Gorodnik, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Lauren from Aspect Ventures. Lauren's so smart, and she's carefully navigated her way into venture after getting her MBA. All her tips and tricks ahead. First, this. It's a beautiful weekend in LA. Sunny, high 70s. For the past month and a half, it's pretty much rained off and on for what feels like every day. Not normal in LA. But the water's good. I saw this week that the governor of California officially said that the drought is over. That makes me feel really good. As you know, I grew up in Park City, Utah, where everything just revolves around outdoor activities. I'm sure that's why I care about the environment. I appreciate its beauty and all the fun times it's afforded me. On the other hand, my wife grew up in the city, Los Angeles, and she cares about nature too, so maybe that's just a nice story I tell myself and other people. I don't know. Anyway, I went to dinner last night with my parents, my brother, and his girlfriend to this hyped-up steak restaurant in Hollywood. You always get excited when you go to one of these new restaurants, but for me, they always disappoint. I guess it makes sense, though. Society and the media, they all tell us that new is good and exciting, and it is, but I feel like the product rarely lives up to the hype. I guess there's a comparison here I need to make to startups about new tech being cool and exciting, but maybe it disappoints on experience. However, when you combine those two factors, that's when you have something special. Obviously, I'm a big podcast guy, and I really just never listen to audiobooks because I kind of view it as the competition. But that's changed now, and I've gone to the dark side. I've started listening to some audible, audible books. Uh, it's really great to tear through books at one and a half times speed. I have a friend that actually listens to them at three and a half times speed, which that's a little nuts for me. But whenever I see people on Twitter talking about how many books they've read this year, they should say how many books they've listened to because there's no way that they've read that many books unless reading is their job. But the experience of reading versus listening, it's different. I don't think you retain quite as much when you're listening to a book sped up. At least I don't. I bring this up because if anyone has any good book recommendations, send them my way, since I'm going to be that guy now that reads 100 books a year. Or listens to, I should say. Uh, well, this really didn't really have much flow. I guess that's how it goes sometimes. Like I say every week, I love the opportunity to reflect on what's going on through my mind or what's happened to me during the week, but it never gets easier to do. It's the same story every week where Sunday morning comes around. I say to my, my wife, uh, what the hell should I talk about this morning? She says some things. I never end up using them. 
I just sit down at my desk, put pen to paper, and it kind of comes like anything else in life. Just go do. Okay, interview time. Hey, Lauren, thanks for having me to your office. Hey, Alex, thanks for, uh, thanks for including me in the podcast. Yeah, just before I clicked record, we're talking about how beautiful Palo Alto is, and you're saying that you're in kind of a historic office here. Yeah, well, the plaque outside mentions that this was the first office of Facebook. So uh, it's, it's funny we see people taking photos out there by the plaque all the time. Got it. And then Aspect Ventures came around, and they're like, Facebook, get out of here. We're, we're taking over now. Exactly. No, I mean, actually, it's pretty funny because my partner, Teresa Gao, uh, was at Excel at the time of the uh, investment in Facebook. And so she and a couple of her partners came over here to give Zuck the term sheet and uh, in this room, actually. And so I think she felt like it had good juju. I love it. Yeah. I, am, I, I can feel it. I, before, even before you came in here, I felt like there was good juju in this room. Yeah. Okay. So we usually start with background of like undergrad, right after undergrad, you are a startup investor now, but that's rarely does someone who's a VC now start off as a VC early in their career. Absolutely right. So uh, let's see. I So I grew up in San Diego mm-hmm. uh, and I went and did my undergrad at Brown uh, where I studied economic development and I was really fascinated by the opportunity to use technology as a driver of development at the time. Um, Did a lot of research on that subject, started a little nonprofit uh, organization while I was in school where we were bringing um, alternatives to firewood cookstoves to East Africa and became pretty interested in clean technology in particular. It was also around the time that an inconvenient truth came out, and I think there was a lot of optimism around the opportunity for uh, clean technologies, um, which seemed to be reemerging, which is great. But um, so I ended up uh, coming out of undergrad, uh, going to work with the Clinton Foundation uh, on uh, alternative energy. So I was based in uh, New Delhi, India, and was the first person from my team on the ground there, and was working with the government uh, and a lot of technology companies to try to facilitate uh, the development of large-scale solar power. So that was my first job out of college. Wow. Um, when you, so it sounds like you kind of like this you know, environmental sustainable, sustainability bug like kind of bit you in college. Did you have any inclination to that before you got there? I, I think I was probably more drawn into the development theme mm-hmm. uh, and technology, broadly speaking. And I think that, uh, you know, in 2008, there was a lot of enthusiasm around around clean technology, and so it was sort of an interesting marriage of the two. And then, obviously, the recession hit, and clean tech for some time started looking a little less rosy. Uh, and so, uh, I decided to come back to California and uh, explore tech from a different vantage point. Um, so, so San Diego. Rhode Island, and then India. Mm -hmm. You lived in India for a couple years? A year and a half, yeah. And what was that like? It was was amazing, uh, wonderful and terrible at the same time. I think I I was a bit in over my head as a young uh, foreign woman uh, by myself there trying to influence energy policy. But I, you know, had a lot of optimism, and you know, we made some progress. Uh, I loved traveling around uh, India and South Asia, and just, you know, was so fascinated by by the culture and all the different experiences that I got to have. So I think it was, you know, as I think about it now, 
Um, there's not a ton of relevance to the job that I do today, but I think what I got out of that experience more than anything was a comfort with sort of navigating ambiguity and sort of making sense of, of pretty ambiguous situations. And uh, uh, I think that's a really important skill for many jobs, but especially for venture. So Yeah, I, I like that. Okay, so you're like, I'm, I've, I've seen India. I've, I'm, I'm ready to come back to California and do something on the for-profit side. Yeah, so I guess there's another piece of the story, which is that while I was in India, in fact, I was, uh, I remember it well, I was on an overnight bus ride from Delhi to Rishikesh, um, where I was going to raft the Ganges, and I got a phone call about one in the morning, um, and it was the uh, the then chancellor of Brown uh, asking me uh, if I had any interest in uh, joining the board of trustees. And I'd been really involved as an undergrad in, in student government and a number of other things, but frankly, most Brown students are. So I, I was I was surprised to get the phone call. I knew that they were that Brown had been doing some uh, governance review and thinking about how to create a more representative board. Um, uh, but that was sort of the extent of what I knew, and certainly did not expect um, to the, get that kind of phone call. And I think. Uh, so obviously I was extremely enthusiastic and then kind of woke up the next day and thought I'd been dreaming. Um, but it was, uh, definitely a moment that I think changed my life because, uh, in joining the board, which was also an interesting experience as a, as a 23 year old, uh, by far the youngest person there and, uh, you know, with CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and really prolific investors, including uh, my now partner, Teresa Gao. Um, so she was at Excel, uh, as I mentioned before, and um, she was probably the next youngest person on the board. And we spent a lot of time together, um, you know, redesigning the Career services at Brown, that was top of mind in sort of 2009, 2010, as you can imagine. Um, and uh, thinking through digital strategy for the university and a number of other things and um, built this really awesome, authentic kind of working relationship and then uh, uh, mentor-mentee relationship and, and friendship over time. And so uh, she was really my first exposure into venture. I don't think I could have told you anything about what a venture capitalist was when I was in college. It's so interesting because now, you know, obviously, it, you know, in, in the Bay Area, but but even Brown students reach out to me all the time with very uh, strong ambitions to to be in VC. And I'm just impressed that they they have that kind of exposure. But anyway, um, so I I got to uh, got to see it a little bit through her eyes. And then um, and then when I was uh, started to think about moving back to California, um, uh, and, and ended up, uh, at Google, um, we started spending more time together here in the Bay area. So. Wow. Well, so I have a question. You're in the middle of the Indian jungle and you get this phone call at one in the morning to join the, the board. What, why did you get that phone call? Like, what was it that, that you had proven in yourself? So I think, yeah, I, it's a good question for, uh, for Tom Tish and some of the other board members at Brown, I probably should ask them that question. I think um, I had formed some really strong relationships with some of the administrators at Brown when I was there. Um, 
I mentioned my interest in kind of sustainability at the time, and we worked on this whole initiative for the university, uh, myself and a number of friends um, called Brown is Green. We thought we were being very cheeky, uh, but uh, tried to help the university think through their sustainability initiatives. Um, and, and like, you know, most roles in student government worked on a lot of different um, uh, sort of policy level projects for the for the university. And so in getting to know a number of uh, administrators really well, I think I uh, had a rare opportunity to kind of prove um, my abilities to represent my my peer group. Um, and so I imagine that when they were thinking about who they wanted to bring on as this, in this sort of younger alumni role uh, on the board, um, you know, they, they had enough confidence uh, in having seen me do it before that I would be able to handle, um, you know, uh, the, the uh, opportunity to kind of represent my classmates and my uh, peer group again. Wow. So... It sounds like relationships, I mean, relationships are a big part of a venture capitalist job, but I mean, it sounds like it was, you had this, maybe you didn't know what VC was, but you like had this fortitude to develop strong relationships with people from, sounds like forever. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly it's something that I value above most things, but I have to say, you know, I, there's certainly a fair bit of luck in that, sure. in that role too. I mean, there are so many incredible, uh, I have so many incredible peers from Brown that, you know, would have been obvious choices in my mind. So, um, so, uh, it was a combination of relationship building and, you know, a lot of luck, but it, it's been a, it was a tremendous opportunity for me. Yeah. As, as most things are in life. So you get this, but you're still living in, you're still living in India when you get this, this board position, right? Yeah. So my first couple board meetings flying to Providence, uh, were from Delhi, which was, uh, kind of a, uh, shocked the system going from, you know, 100 degree weather uh, to, you know, freezing cold. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, so and then I moved back to California and um, carried out that that uh, term um, from from here while I was at Google. Right. So you get now you get a job at Google. Mm -hmm. And how do you get that job? I had a lot of friends from undergrad that were working there at the time. And I felt, you know, I'd had this passion for technology, broadly speaking. And I think, um, realized that after this year and a half in India that it was time for me to kind of get a slightly more structured sort of job experience where I'd have more opportunity for, you know, training and mentorship. And so as I started thinking about the world of possibilities, I was drawn to tech and, you know, uh, Google seemed like uh, about the ideal spot to get to get that kind of exposure. And so I somehow finagled my way into a role in product marketing on the Google Apps team, which is now called G Suite, so the um, you know basically the the package of, of products for for businesses around um, Gmail and Docs and Calendar, and I uh, uh, it was a really interesting time because it was sort of early days of consumerization of enterprise, and um, and you know this was sort of the ultimate place to do it because Google had what were literally consumer products that they were trying to. Uh, to pull together for business, um, and I got to got to lead the uh, Google Drive launch on the on the business side, which was uh, a pretty amazing experience early on in my career. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a, it was a great training ground for me. All right, now I want to ask the same question, but for the Google job, what do you attribute getting that one to? Is it um, 
like going to Brown and being on the board. And so like you have this like pedigree and you've did something with interesting and another name brand thing, the Clinton Foundation in India. And say, oh, this is clearly a smart person. OK. And, and the relationship stuff, too. I'm sure it was a combination of all of those things. I mean, I think one thing I would give Google a lot of credit for is that uh, they seem to, even now, I believe, really look for kind of the high quality talent um, generally speaking, and in, even if you know you don't come in with the uh, exact marketable skill set that they're looking for, they tend to be more open to taking kind of a leap, especially for early career professionals, uh, on on people that they just think have high potential, and and helping to kind of get them to um, realize that potential. And so, uh, it's again a good question. I, I I wish I knew the exact answer of why they thought that uh, clean tech experience partnership development in India could translate into product marketing for a enterprise SaaS product. But um, but it worked. And um, and you know I think at the time I was ge- I was applying kind of generally for product marketing roles, and I I kind of lucked out. Uh, and where I got placed, it probably would not, again, have been the first thing that would have come to mind. You know, I had a lot of friends that were working on, like, Google Search and um, Google Doodles and things that just were, you know, seemed uh, were m- much more relevant to my consumer experience. Um, but I think that uh, I just became completely fascinated by um, this theme that I started to see emerging where, you know, at that point in time, there was sort of this more bottoms-up drive to adopt products that had great sort of consumer UIs in the workplace, and obviously that now has become extremely prevalent in uh, Silicon Valley and beyond. And uh, and and now we're starting to see those expectations sort of take hold in the sort of decision-making positions at at large enterprises. But um, but back then, I think it was you know this was. 2010, 2011, um, I think that uh, it, w- it was sort of a, 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 a bottoms-up driven um, uh, shift in workplace expectations, and Google uh, was well-positioned for that. Interesting. So how so how did you find, like, was it a big transition moving back from India to now having, like, a regular job? I, mean, I assume you're in India, you're all over the place, out in the jungle, in the forest, making things happen, rolling up your sleeves, and now at Google, you're still rolling up your sleeves, but in like a really, really, really nice office. <laughs> yeah, with lots of great uh, cafes to choose from. No, it was, um, yeah, India was, like I said, a lot about embracing ambiguity, and there was extremely little, there was almost no structure, uh, mostly in the desert, uh, not the jungle, but you know, uh, we were doing solar, so we were looking for the sun. Right, right. Um, but uh, it was it was definitely a, a a big shift, and I think at times I remember feeling like, you know, one of the things that was so special to me about living in India, as as hard as it was at some points in time, but I think you know it's sort of this um, assaults your senses constantly, and you know I, I I like to describe it as this feeling of you know being reminded that you're alive every day when you're in a place like Delhi. Um, it's in your face whether you want it to be or not. And I think coming back to California, it felt a little more a little more sterile uh, in that sense, but, um, you know, and a little bit more uh, routine. But in kind of clearing that headspace and allowing me to kind of focus on what I was doing instead of what was around me, I really started to find kind of a passion for 
um, some of these themes that I was talking about that I, I don't think would have been so obvious to me otherwise, but, you know, consumerization of enterprise and future of work and, you know, those have now become really big, big themes for me at Aspect, um, which we can talk about later. But, um, but I think that uh, being able to really focus for a period of time on that was, uh, was important for me. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're checking a few different boxes here and, and now you've got the, the operations box and you're building and you're seeing these, this theme of great UI in the workplace. And when does your brain start to switch over to see, like, oh, I'm maybe interested in investing, or I'm maybe interested in, in something else? Maybe you, you didn't even know yet. So I, I had had an inkling, as I, especially as I had gotten to know Teresa, and then I moved when I moved back to California, and that was right around the time that Google uh, was starting what was then Google Ventures, and so I had spent some time with people there, just starting to understand what they were doing, and um, had a lot of friends in startups and. Uh, and so I, I think I had I had a general fascination, but I knew that I needed to spend some real time, um, kind of you know after a couple years at Google, taking a step back and you know reevaluating and testing some different ideas I had about what might be interesting to me. I think the other big one was you know curiosity around uh, being an entrepreneur myself, and so those were the two kind of hypotheses I had, but. Um, uh, apart from you know an experience starting a, a nonprofit when I was in undergrad, you know I, I, I hadn't done a whole lot that was uh, uh, entrepreneurial in the classic sense, and um, I also um, hadn't you know been in a venture capital firm, and so I ended up applying to business school um, and was uh, very fortunate to get into uh, to get into Stanford GSB, and uh, I really thought of that as an opportunity to get to explore these two paths and um, to give myself a little space to, to figure out, you know, where I wanted to spend the next phase of my career. Yeah, business school is a perfect time to be selfish, look inward, yeah. figure out who you want to be. As you know. As I know, as I did. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, okay, so you go to business school, you go to Stanford, and what was your internship in between your, your, your two years? Yeah, I actually entered with Cowboy Ventures, so I had been interested in in venture, as I said. Uh, and uh, at that time, Aileen Lee had uh, had left Kleiner to start her own fund, and I had a couple classmates that were uh, helping her out, and um, and so uh, I ended up uh, spending the summer there. And so now you're like getting your feet wet in venture, and you say, "This is cool. I did it for ten weeks. I really like it." Yeah, no, it was great. I. Uh, Got a ton of exposure and learned a lot, and uh, met some entre- awesome entrepreneurs, and um, uh, and was trying to figure out sort of where I wanted to be. And I think the one takeaway for me from that experience was I have great, great admiration for seed investors, but that I I wanted the opportunity to invest a little bit later as well if I was going to be on the VC side. And um, uh, I mean, we still do some seed investing here at Aspect, but I I. I think um, I was interested in getting to, to, to do something where I could dig in with a bit more data. And, um, and so I, I had that in mind as one, one potential path and was still exploring a couple entrepreneurial ideas uh, uh, at school with some classmates. And uh, somewhere in my second year, uh, I was uh, over at 
Tacolicious here in Palo Alto with Teresa having dinner, catching up, and uh, she told me that she was thinking about leaving Excel to start her own firm, and uh, the stars kind of aligned for me. Yeah, I mean, that's very fortunate. I mean, I'm sure Stanford's different from UCLA where I went to business school. Everyone can, well, at UCLA, everyone can get venture capital internships. No one can get venture capital jobs. Mm-hmm. So it's like they'll take all sorts of cheap or free work. But then getting the actual job is really hard. Was it, is it like that way at Stanford and this is like the stars really aligned for you and like a lot of your classmates who wanted to get into venture couldn't? There's certainly hard jobs to come by, especially because as you, as you pointed out in the beginning, there aren't clear paths into venture, especially not anymore and especially not into early stage venture. I think that... Um, you know, I think we're in a really interesting time in venture capital where, fortunately, you know, there's more self-reflection. And I think, you know, partnerships are looking a little more inward and trying to assess kind of what where their strengths are and then trying to hire people that hopefully look different from them and have different backgrounds. And um, and so the, the benefit of that is we're starting to uh, see some more diversity in this industry on, on many different dimensions. Um, still got a long way to go, but uh, but we're seeing some. Um, and the thing that makes that hard for people is that there isn't a clear path. Um, you know, uh, I know people in this industry that came in as as journalists. Um, obviously, many that came in as you know entrepreneurs or former bankers, but but also now increasingly a ton of different operators of many different kinds. Um, so uh, it's a good thing, um, but it makes it hard if you're if you're in business school or anywhere else and trying to figure out how to get to venture. Um, to, to, to have a clear path in your head about how to do that. So I would say, um, you know, I have a number of classmates uh, that, are, that, that got jobs in venture and are, and are still in many of those jobs and doing very well, and there's certainly opportunities. Um, but, you know, going back to your first point, I think that um, so much of it is around building those relationships. And, you know, as I think about what's transferable, from my own experience and when I talk to, you know, MBAs or, or others that are trying to get into venture and ask to hear about, you know, this sort of path that I just described to you, I, I sometimes will hesitate because I know that my experience is, is so unique and hard to replicate. And like I said, there was definitely a lot of luck there. But what I, what I do think can be sort of gleaned from it and from many of the stories I've heard from the VCs that I respect the most um, is that, you know, uh, you don't have to have Teresa Gao as a, as a mentor. That's, that was pretty fortunate. Um, but I think that what gave her confidence um, to bring me on as the first, you know, employee of the firm was that we had done work together in the past. And so I think it's the relationship, but it's actually, you know, these are small places. Every, every hire you bring into a venture capital firm um, has a big impact on the culture of the firm and um, and outcomes, and so uh, and so people really care about you know getting to know you and seeing your work product before uh, they take that leap, um, and uh, and so I think from that perspective, you know, when I talk to folks that are trying to get into the industry, well, the first thing I advise them to do is find a way to start working with the people you want to work with before you're officially working together. Yeah, you don't have to have the job to start providing value, showing deals, making introductions, whatever it is. Exactly, exactly right. So, um, and I think that uh, as obvious as that might sound, uh, 
there aren't a lot of people that really take advantage of it in a meaningful way. Um, and so I think that to your point, uh, you know, if, if it's something, if this is the path that you're interested in and you believe it's the right time, we can talk about what quote is and is not the right time. But, uh, then, you know, the, the best thing to do is to build a couple relationships, um, you know, with people that are at firms that you think might be a good fit for you, um, for any number of reasons. And, you know, start to showcase the way that you think, um, and and start to provide value. Whether it's you know, um, whether it's introducing uh, investors to to companies that you know, or to talent for their portfolio companies, or even just sharing kind of thesis work that you've done that you think will help sort of support uh, their investing. Yeah. Um, we talk about that theme a lot on this podcast. You don't have to have the job to start providing value and forging relationships with people. I mean, your job is a lot of relationships and some pattern recognition. Relationships are really easy to show. Pattern recognition, I mean, maybe that takes quite some time to, to prove. Yeah. Okay. So, wow, you're right. Amazing to get in here. You have a great mentor and you come in at a junior level. And now how long have you been at Aspect? So I've, I've been here essentially since the beginning. So I started working while I was finishing up my, my MBA and uh, was doing a master's in science at Stanford as well. And, um, and so was, was working with them for, I don't know, six months as I was finishing up grad school. And that was sort of before they'd, we had actually even raised fund one uh, and then came in full time uh, four and a half years ago now. Um, so really have been here from, from the beginning. And I mean, I think, you know, I mentioned the stars aligned. I think one of the things that's been so cool for me was that as I, as I, as I alluded to, I'm trying to figure out, you know, back in business school, do I want to do something entrepreneurial or do I want to go to venture? And I mean, I've really gotten to do both here. So I've gotten to kind of help build this firm from the ground up and have been involved in a lot of the the hiring and team building and thinking about the brand and, you know, and the operations of kind of how we process deals um, and, uh, you know, many of the types of things that, um, you know, you get involved in as a, as a very early employee in a startup um, wearing many hats. Uh, and I've gotten to, to uh, build a portfolio that I'm really excited about and, and, and go pretty deep in some areas on the investing side. And so it's, it's really been the best of both worlds from that perspective. That's a really great outlook, you know, because I, I kind of feel like in, in talking with founders and investors that everyone kind of always wants what they don't have, right? You, an investor is meeting with a founder and they're like, oh, why didn't I think of that idea? I want to I be doing this. Or, you know, a founder meets with an investor. It's like, oh, I just want money. I want to be the one handing out money. So it's cool that you're able to kind of reconcile both of those worlds and combine them. And look, it's like a great mentality. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I... I feel lucky to have this job every day. So, um, and I think, I think a lot of my peers do as well. I, I know, especially a couple of folks that I graduated with from business school and are still in, in working for the same firms, you know, after this amount of time, uh, we, we often will talk about how we sort of pinch ourselves that this is, it's, it's a pretty great job. Um, and there are certainly downsides, don't get me wrong, but, uh, but, but being in venture and, and getting to meet you know, such incredible entrepreneurs who are so passionate about, I mean, all of these different significant problems that they're solving in the world uh, and getting to learn and go deep on a bunch of different things. And um, 
yeah, I, I can't ab- imagine a better job for myself. Well, that's good to hear. But you're, you, as you said, this still is a job. Let's let's humanize this a okay. little bit. What what don't you like? Sure. Uh, I think that um, so. Where to start? I think that the hardest part for me, and I think a lot of people, uh, is figuring out how to prioritize time because. You know, I remember when I was an operator, and that was certainly a challenge. I think it's an, a challenge in, in any job. But in this job, you know, the the feedback cycles are so long. It takes a really long time to know if you're any good, and so yeah. and 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 it takes a really long time to know if you if you even can know kind of what were the contributing factors that led to success and and what were the contributing factors that led to failures, right? And so you're constantly trying to make sense of uh, imperfect information and, and try to learn lessons and refine how you spend your time. And so to me, you know, I think that that is, that is the constant challenge. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that takes a toll because you're trying to balance that with, uh, how you, you know, with, with living your life and, uh, and the lines get blurred a little bit between work and life and venture. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, Lauren. Last question okay. here. Preezy. I think yeah. I think I saw it on LinkedIn or maybe Twitter. Adventure traveling. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about what what your latest adventure travel was. That's a good question. So in November, I went uh, to Peru uh, with my husband and my parents. My uh-huh. mom has a has a little nonprofit organization where she works with these women's groups. Uh, in the high Andes in this region of Peru called Ayacucho that used to be kind of the headquarters of the Shining Path, which was a kind of guerrilla group, uh, not unlike the FARC that existed in in Peru in the 80s and 90s. And so there's this whole generation of women um, and and people that grew up without access to government services or education. And so she works a lot of these communities. So we went up um, into the very high Andes and went and, and met with a lot of these groups. What, one, of, one of the villages, you had to drive three hours on a, dirt, on, a, on a regular road and then an hour and a half on a dirt road and then hike for an hour and a half uh, into the mountains to reach the village. No electricity, no running water, um, but just some of the most incredible people and absolutely beautiful scenery, but also pretty, pretty sad uh, in terms of access to to some of the more basic um, services. And so uh, I, I like trying to do some travel that, that puts life in perspective and, and has some meaning. And I'm really proud of my mom for what she's what she's been doing with these communities. That's amazing. I, I, I like that kind of travel too. And this was a really fun conversation, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me to your office, to the Facebook signing room. Really, really cool. Really fun speaking with you. Thanks, Alex. Really appreciate you being here, and uh, great to be on the on the podcast. Thanks for those of you that are still listening, and uh, uh, I'm a big fan. As always, thanks for listening, and congrats on making it all the way to the end of the podcast. Let me know what you think. Send me some book recommendations, and leave this podcast a review on iTunes. Thanks.